Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. From MCIE. Eric Garcia, author of We're Not Broken, Changing the Autism Conversation, wants you to know something about autistic people. Autistic people are fine just the way we are. Do we have challenges? Yes, just like every other human being does. And we should work to address those problems. But we're not failed versions of normal. And I think what needs to happen is that the reason why I say changing the autism conversation, it needs to change so that autistic people are included in that conversation. And he's adamant about letting autistic people be who they want to be. The world is cruel to a lot of disabled people, particularly autistic people. Otherwise, I wouldn't have written this book if I thought the world was nice to them. But you can't restrict people's freedoms or their ability to have their own dignity in the name of security. Hey, y'all. My name is Tim Viegas, and you are listening to the Think Inclusive podcast presented by MCIE. This podcast exists to build bridges between families, educators, and disability rights advocates to create a shared understanding of inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. To find out more about who we are and what we do, check us out at thinkinclusive.us or on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Today on the podcast, we interview Eric Garcia about his new book, and talk about the biggest misconceptions of autism, why simply existing is not inspirational, and what his dream for the future of a more inclusive world looks like. Thank you so much for listening. And now, our interview with Eric Garcia. So today on the podcast, I'd like to welcome Eric Garcia, who is a journalist and author of We're Not Broken, Changing the Autism Conversation. He previously worked at the Washington Post, The Hill, Roll Call, National Journal, and Market Watch. 
His writing has been featured in The New Republic, The Daily Beast, The American Prospect, and Salon.com. Uh, welcome to the Think Inclusive podcast, Eric. Thank you very much. What are some of the biggest misconceptions of, of being autistic? Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the biggest misconception, autism has been subjected to so many misconceptions throughout, the, throughout its very, very long history in the public eye. Um, in the beginning, it was often seen as something that was caused by unloving parents. And even before that, it was seen as a symptom of schizophrenia. It didn't get its own separate diagnosis in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders until 1980. It got its own separate diagnosis. Up until then, it was under this diagnosis of schizophrenia. Um, and then over time, it's gotten, you know, the, the, there's been the misconception that vaccines cause autism, which is not true. Then uh, there's been this idea that it affects only upper class white people. Uh, and that and that and that was a misconception. And then there was the misconception that it only affects boy. It affects boys more than it affects girls. Uh, and then there's been the misconception that they're unable to work, and that they're uh, or that uh, it is the misconception that they only work in Silicon Valley, or you you know. So it's been misconception after misconception after misconception. And that's kind of the uh, misconception. Is kind of the story of autism in many ways. So in the book, you say to be inspirational means to be exceptional and somehow extra, extraordinary, but to be successful because of supports and accommodation is to universalize our success. Can, can you expand on that? Yeah. So I really hate, I'm sure you see these stories of like autistic person graduates from high school or college or things like that. And it's supposed to be a really inspirational or feel good story. And I really hate that because it's like, well, why is that inspirational? It's like, well, it's inspirational because it's exceptional. It's because it's out of the ordinary. That's why it's a news story. And like, and then also my feeling is that those stories aren't inspirational to autistic people. They're meant to inspire neurotypical people. I would really love it if autistic people could be average and like, you know, we should make graduating from college out of the, the ordinary instead of the out of the ordinary. If you universalize things that might not make neurotypical people feel good, but it'll improve autistic people's lives. And frankly, I don't care if you feel good. If you're, uh, if you're a neurotypical person, my life isn't meant to make you feel inspired. I'm sorry that, that you know, like, uh, and I write about it in the book, you know, when I, when I got a job, I say specifically, like, this is the point where you might think that I get a happy ending. Um, I'm sorry, there's no such thing as a happy ending. And nobody's entitled to a happy ending except the person themselves living that life. Um, and even then, you're not entitled to a happy ending. Um, life is cruel and it sucks. Deal with it. But, you know, uh, but, but like, I mean, I think that it's a important to say that like okay if we give the right supports to autistic students then more of them will graduate then it's no longer inspirational then it's a universal thing that can happen and it's a possibility you know right so so what do you think is the barrier then is it just a matter of mindset like oh people just haven't thought about giving the supports or is there something more so. systemic uh, you know, I, and I talk about it a little bit in the book. I would have liked to have done more in the book, but like, for example, the Americans with Disabilities Act didn't mention autism in its original 1990 version. It was included later in the ADA Amendments Act once regulations were put in place. Autism is included in the uh, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act 
as a disability that's covered. But you have to remember that that was a reauthorization of the 1976 Education for Handicapped Children Act. So a lot of the things about autism they get to recognize is that autism, the way we deal with autism has been grafted into pre-existing policies. And that's a good thing because it means that we were doing, we were including them more in, you know, society. But the other thing is that it means that we're shoehorning autism into these policies that existed before and didn't have autistic people in mind. So a lot of times it's it's always, you know, it's a paradox. On one end, you want to include them in larger, within larger society, but then also you want to make sure, well, what happens if, you know, we try fitting them into something that they weren't initially built into? That's, it's a, it's a, it's a real paradox that I don't, I don't think, I didn't even try to uh, ask or answer that question in the book. Do you have any thoughts about what needs to happen to IDEA? Well, first, what needs to happen is that the federal government needs to actually live up to its commitment. I believe the, you, you know this probably better than I do, the federal government's supposed to pay about 40% of the cost. Uh, and it's only ever gotten around, paid around 14.67% of the cost. I'm not, don't quote me on that, the specific number, but it's not what it's supposed to be. And one of the things that almost every Democratic presidential candidate promised in the um, 2020 Democratic primary was that they would fully fund IDEA. Or they would, not only would they fund IDEA, they would increase the amount of money that the federal government promises. So, I mean, I think to your point is that, you know, the, the real difficult part is that, um, first off, the federal government isn't even giving the money that um, that needs to be given to, to, to even properly administer the IDEA. On top of that, uh, the question is, is that promised money even enough? So the delivery of services is really dependent on that. And, you know, a lot of state budgets, because states almost every state has to balance its but has to have a balanced budget by its state constitution that makes it really hard for states and localities to uh, live up to live up to their promises um, and if you don't have a good attorney you're basically doomed you know <laughs> the real talk from Eric Garcia <laughs> yeah no, no like I mean it's uh, I'm I'm telling you I'm saying the same things that your listeners probably know already so yeah yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's let's talk about um, in the book. You talk about parents advocating for segregated workshops. Yeah. Uh, and so I wanted to know, you know, what you thought. If are these the same parents and families who are saying, "Well, we want our kids in a separate special education classroom"? Um, they probably are. Um, I should say, I didn't look into, I should say, I didn't look into that in my book. I, I, I probably should have. Um, but I think that it's entirely a possibility. Like, I think that, um, it's important to remember that sheltered workshops were seen as the right thing to, or segregated work was seen as the right thing to do for a long time. Because it seen as these people could probably never hold a job before, but what we realize now is that we recognize that disabled people can hold a job and they can work full time even, you know, and we also recognize that everybody deserves a, a good and decent living wage, you know, and, and, and I should note that a lot of people who are on the front lines about ending some minimum wage are Republicans. Um, uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers is a Republican congresswoman from uh, 
you know, his Republican congressman who was in Republican leadership, uh, Governor Greg Abbott in Texas. Um, mm-hmm. It's, I think, parents who think that, first off, they feel like, okay, well, there's a support system that comes around segregated workshops. They get a, they get driven to the place. They get supports there. They get uh, they get a lot of accoutrement, and then it also provides respite for caregivers. Um, but the thing, the fact of the matter is, is that those things could come with integrated work. We just never thought of them. We never, we didn't think that was a possibility for integrated work, but that doesn't mean that they can't be done. Um, and I think that's what matters is that for the longest time, parents oftentimes I think are afraid of the unknown. And because the world can be cruel, I try to be, a lot of people will probably think that I'm being un, unempathetic to parents in this book, but I understand why they're afraid. The world is cruel to a lot of disabled people, particularly autistic people. Otherwise, I wouldn't have written this book if I thought the world was nice to them. But you can't restrict people's freedoms or their ability to have their own dignity in the name of security. And that's what you're doing when you pay people below minimum wage and what you do when you segregate them from other coworkers is you basically say they aren't entitled to work with other people and they aren't entitled entitled to uh, earn the fruits of their labor. Uh, they aren't they aren't entitled and they aren't entitled to a good job because a lot of these jobs are very very menial. I, I, I talked with Max, Maxfield Sparrow, and they were you know working on cutting felt for like those puzzle um, floor things. Like it's very very uh, and not to say that all work doesn't have dignity, but it's very much like it's assuming the law that. Disabled people can only do the lowest of the low labor, and they can't do anything more. So, it's, so it's it's providing indignity, and it doesn't give them their due. What do you think we can do as a country to improve, you know, healthcare for not just for autistic people, but for everyone? One doctor told me that like I can't think of a worse place for an autistic person than an emergency room or an emergency department. Um, the thing that you have to remember is that I think because autism was medicalized for a long time, a lot of times doctors think that they are helping autistic people by trying to cure the symptoms of autism or the, or the, the you know, tr- their autistic traits instead of treating the things that autistic people themselves are dealing with. I think that what this requires is it requires doctors listening to autistic people and their needs rather than doctors trying to uh, treat but people don't want to be treated. Um, they need to recognize that disability is not the same as illness, and they need to recognize that uh, disabled people's needs are valid. You know, I, I interviewed Lydia Wayman, and she said, like, doctors just thought that she was faking being sick. Like, I think doctors need to take what autistic people are saying at face value. Um, that's a really important thing. Uh, you deserve to have doctors listen to you. Um, so I think that's I think that's the primary thing. And also, I think... What, needs to happen is that there needs to be more research into what is actually killing autistic people. Autistic people with intellectual disabilities are very much likely to die of epilepsy. Autistic people without intellectual disabilities are the two biggest killers are heart disease and or circulatory conditions and suicide. Those are all, those are, that's a pretty big crisis. If a lot of autistic people with 
uh, without intellectual disabilities are dying from heart disease or are killing themselves. Both of those are pretty big crises that need to be addressed. Eric, can you tell us more about uh, what you mean by the, the fate of autistic and LGBTQ people being intertwined? Yeah, that is really important. And that is something, one of the things I noticed when I started re- writing research about autism was how many autistic people I, I met were queer, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, gender non-binary, or something in that sphere. And um, what I realized is that a lot of them aren't taken seriously because they're autistic. And they say, well, so if they wanted to transition, a lot of times the thing would be like, oh, well, you, you don't know what's good for you, you know, or you don't know. That's, that's basically the argument um, J.K. Rowling is making when it comes to trans, trans, trans men being you know, tricked into, you know, trend, transitioning, which is just really gross. Um, uh, you know, but like on top of that, um, I think the other thing that's important to remember is that uh, Ola Iver Lovas, who was the, I guess you could say the father of applied behavior analysis um, and law at UCLA, was also the same person who worked on, who advised on UCLA's Feminine Boy Project, which was basically, not even basically, it served as the template for conversion therapy, what we know now. So even though, so like, and one of the things that it used a lot of the same conditioning and the same kind of aversives and the same kind of things. So those two things share DNA and the same impulse, even though I am cisgender and heterosexual, I have to recognize that the same impulse that want of people who want to stop me from stimming are often the same people who don't want, you know, gay men to have a limp wrist or something, or don't, or want lesbians to wear a dress, or have trans men be women, or you know, present as women, or trans women present as men, or what have you, or force non-binary to pick to to, to conform to one gender or another. Um, that you and the the core is it. It's saying that whether it's ABA or whether it's conversion therapy or something, it's saying that you can only be loved if you fit into these pre-described or prescribed norms that haven't built you in mind. So if you are, and you know, to say nothing of if you are queer and, um, and I'm using queer to include everything uh, because that's what a lot of my, my LGBTQ plus friends say, so I'm just using that. Um, uh, so queerness and autism, they're both choosing those things and choosing to be your most authentic self are in many ways defiance of what people want you to do, but they're also you accepting that you are who you are and you should be, and you're deserving and worthy of love as you are. I think that's the most important thing that I would say. Um, to say nothing of how many LGBTQ plus autistic people there are. There are plenty of them. Um, I want to go back to an earlier question I had that we just I just kind of skipped over uh, <laughs> and about the terms of high and low functioning. I'm wondering yeah. why, why are those terms problematic? 
I wouldn't say that they're problematic as much as I say they don't actually accurately describe what's going on. I mean, I'm a journalist, so my, what's my job? My job is to describe the world as it is with words. And I think the terms high-functioning and low-functioning do it. Dis- they don't. They don't accurately depict what autistic people can and can't do. So a lot of people might say, and I get this a lot in my, you know, when I'm on Twitter, it always annoys me. It's like, well, it's really easy for you to say because you're high functioning. And it's like, um, okay, well, I have trouble taking out the trash. I have trouble with, you know, remembering things. I have trouble cleaning up my place. I have a lot of difficulties with a lot of different things. And it's not... um, And that kind of flies in my face. In the same respect, a lot of people who would be considered quote unquote low functioning, which is people with intellectual disabilities or people who can't speak are are seen as low functioning. And that flattens their experiences and that it diminishes what they can do. It says that it, it, it prescribes what they can do. And they're considered low functioning because they don't function in the same way that neurotypical people think that they should. But like, you know, a perfect example is like, uh, I'm sure you saw the Interagency Autism Coordinating Committee. They now have two non-speaking autistic, they have somebody with, uh, I take it back, they have somebody who has intellectual disabilities on the, on the committee now, and they have uh, somebody who who can't speak, who doesn't speak, who's not speaking. Uh, Laura Ivanova-Smith and Hari Srinivasan, I believe, were both of them. But like, um, but like that, they have to be able to function pretty well if they can, you know, be on a government committee. But we flatten their experiences if they don't, uh, if we use terms like low functioning. And also, so I tend to prefer terms like higher support needs or lower support needs, because then you're talking about what they need and how to, and what are the supports they need throughout the world, throughout to navigate the world. And it's more it's more responsive to their to them than it is what our perceptions of them are. So I tend to support, I tend to like those terms better. So as we look to the future, uh, what is your dream for autistic people and how do we get there? Well, I'm on Capitol Hill right now. I'm calling you literally from a phone closet on the Hill uh, where they're debating. Uh, I'm sure you know about the, about president Biden's proposed $400 billion on home community-based services. That would be a massive boon to autistic people to allow them to live in their community, to live with their families, um, and to live among um, and, to, and, to, and to be seen as members of the community, not just live in the community, but seen as being members, vital members of the community. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is I would, I would really like to see is that just autistic people being included in anything, anytime that there's any discussion about autistic people, they should be included. So this is, uh, this is uh, just for fun. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. Sure. Your, your book. Okay. So the book that you wrote, your titles are, um, are song titles. Yeah. And then in, in the body of your chapters, um, you have subtitles that are lyrics. Yeah. Uh, and so as a, as a segue into the last question, um, you know, we know you love music. Do you have like a running list of like your, you know, top five albums? Oh, it changes all the time. Um, I mean, I would say my top five favorite albums of all time. You're going to, you're, you're going to really, you're going to really put me on this. 
Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say Highway to Hell has to be on there, and, and this is this is no less. ACDC's Highway to Hell is on there. Yeah, yeah. Jimi Hendrix's Electric Ladyland is definitely on there. Um, just because I go back to it all the time, and and it was a big part of writing this book. Uh, Miles Davis is kind of blue. Is is definitely on there. Um, I would probably put on um, something else. I'd, I mean, I got into it like when I was on Deadline. Uh, very, very few things help you when you're on Deadline than Straight Outta Compton by NWA. Uh, you, you're from Southern California, so you know what I you know what Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> um, and then uh, afterward, I think I would put on, it's a toss-up right now between Metallica's Master of Puppets or Black Sabbath's Paradise. Paranoid. So one of those two, but that's usually my top five. And the, the, the fifth one usually alternates a lot, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Is there anything, uh, anything else that you wanted us to ask you? Uh, not really. I think the thing that I would just like to say is that um, autistic people are fine just the way we are. Do we have challenges? Yes. Just like every other human being does. And we should work to address those problems but we're not failed versions of normal. And I think what needs to happen is that the reason why I say changing the autism conversation, it needs to change so that autistic people are included in that conversation. You know, that's, that's the only thing I would say is that, that that's the simplest answer I could say is that autistic people need to be included. And I think that one of the things that I write about in the, at the end of the book is that you're seeing autistic people being included more on presidential campaigns. Uh, you're seeing them more working in Congress you're seeing autistic people getting elected to office. Um, you're seeing autistic people um, as actors and working in different sectors of the of business community. Um, they're going to change things and make things better than I ever could. Um, and hopefully they move things forward in a way that I couldn't. So I'm very optimistic. I'm, I don't want to say I'm very optimistic because people always, because I, I should say like, when I was writing the proposal, it was done with on the premise that I thought that uh, is that it was done. I started writing the proposal in 2016 when Hillary Clinton had put out her policy proposal on autism, and then Donald Trump got elected. So I don't want to say. And so you got the first presidential policy on autism, and then you got an anti-vaxxer elected as president of the United States, and that should have been a harbinger of how he would have handled how he would have handled a pandemic, but. Uh, but in the same, so I don't want to say I'm optimistic because, you know, I'm usually Mr. Doom and Gloom. That's just who I am. You can ask any of my friends. But I, but what I am hopeful is for is I'm, if I'm not hopeful for humanity at large, I'm hopeful for the autistic community. Um, so that that that's 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 what I am hopeful for. So Eric Garcia, really appreciate your time uh, on the Think Inclusive podcast. Uh, is there a place that people can uh, buy your book or follow you on social media? You can follow me because I tweet way too much about politics and anything else on uh, at Eric M. Garcia. You can uh, buy my book, We're Not Broken, Changing the Autism Conversation, uh, wherever fine books are sold. Um, and you can uh, and you can always, you know, DM me or message me anywhere after that. Uh, and, you know, I will gladly be a guest on your podcast. So and then also I'm a correspondent. I'm a senior D.C. correspondent for The Independent. So follow me, even though I'm not British, I wound up being a senior correspondent for a British newspaper. So. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to. So, you know, that's also what I do. So. Eric Garcia, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. 
That will do it for this episode of the Think Inclusive podcast. Subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, the Anchor app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a question or comment? Email us at podcast at thinkinclusive.us. We love to know that you're listening. Thank you to patrons Pamela P., Veronica E., Kathleen T., Mark C., Sarah C., Kathy B., and Sonia A. for their continued support of the podcast. When you become a patron, your contribution helps us with the cost of audio production, transcription, and promotion of the Think Inclusive podcast. Go to patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast to become a patron today and get access to all of our unedited interviews, including our conversation with Eric Garcia. Thank you for helping us equip more people to promote and sustain inclusive education. This podcast is a production of MCIE, where we envision a society where neighborhood schools welcome all learners and create the foundation for inclusive communities. Learn more at MCIE.org. We'll be back in a couple weeks to talk with Genius Steven, host of the podcast, The Good Things in Life. All kids being educated together, not just being placed together, but with real attention to all of the isms, you know, to real attention paid to ableism and racism so that kids aren't just placed in a physical space together, but are truly educated together as a community. Thanks for your time and attention. Until next time, remember, inclusion always works. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.